Can you tell us a little bit about a story that I've always heard when the David was completed that pretty much the, the man who's in, in charge of paying for it, I think Sotterino, feels that he needs to, he, he's jealous of the credit that Michelangelo's getting for the David. So he has to find himself critiquing it just because no one else would critique it. So it makes him look powerful and how he climbs up the scaffold and writes, I think, a letter to his dad that my chisel never touched the stone. Tell us that story about, if it's even true, about modifying the David because of the critic. It's a, it's a wonderful story, and I believe that all stories are true until proven otherwise. And since <laughs> you can't prove it otherwise, you might as well believe it's true. So, of course, it's a story about, you know, the artist always knows best because the artist made the work. But then we have the critics and the art historians like me who are talking about things, and we think we know something. But Soderini thought he knew something and said something about the nose of David looked a little too large, and Michelangelo should really reduce the size of the nose. So Michelangelo climbs up the ladder, and he pretends to, you know, chisel away, but he had, what he did was take up some uh, chalk dust and allow it to fall down down and then he said he looked down and he said what do you think you think it looks good now and Soderini looks up and says oh yes now it looks perfect of course Michael Andrew hadn't changed a bit mm. so it just shows that you know critics usually don't know what the hell they're talking about when I read your terrific book God's God's architect about Michelangelo it, it made me think of an artist's struggle with wind. Wind is not something, it's invisible. Wind is something you can't depict in a painting or in a sculpture, but you can depict the effect of the wind to convey that there is wind present. You can show the invisible. And I found that your incredible knowledge and research in this book, by using letters and understanding the subtleties of the language that you point out in the book, I felt like I was reading a book about someone who, who showed us the effects, but you were actually taking us to a place that's invisible, which is understanding this man who struggled with trying to figure out the meaning of life for himself, and consequently we benefit from that journey that he took place, that, that took place for him. You think that this is something that is, I'm overreading? Or does it make sense to you that you're really writing a book about wind and its effect? Well, I appreciate your, your take on it. I hadn't thought about wind, but I appreciate the way you're thinking about it. Uh, if I've done anything in my life about writing about Michelangelo and spending all my time spent writing these eight books is to try and humanize this person and make somebody who lived uh, 500 years ago and, and seem like such a remote human being alive and relevant to us today. And if it is because we see the effects of wind in our life, um, I think then that's, uh, then I've succeeded. Uh, I want to make this person human and relevant to us. Every summer for about 15 years, I traveled with my family to Carrara and I rented a studio space to sculpt in the very rocky use, the same sunlight. I really wanted to live the life and see what he saw in that same stone. It's kind of a crazy idea, but I would do that to try to, like a surgeon, to see through the skin at the anatomy below, to see what was trapped in that stone. 
And one of the great stories that I found is on page 133 in your book. And it's a letter from 1549 where the French cryptographer writes, I have seen Michelangelo, although more than 60 years old and no longer among the most robust, knock off more chips of a very hard marble in a quarter of an hour than three young stone carvers could have done in three or four. An almost incredible thing to one who has not seen it. And I thought the whole work would fall to pieces because he moved with such impetuosity and fury, knocking to the floor chunks three and four fingers thick. What a letter of him seeing something that no one else sees. Wayne Gretzky's dad, skate to where the puck is going, not to where it's been. And then you reveal to us, because of your research, he's not 60. He's doing this when he's 74 years old. How many people got to visit and watch him actually work, Professor Wallace? 